0: Well, it'd be really helpful to have your Bibles open. So we're continuing today in our new series in the book of Daniel. So we're still in chapter one. So if you've got your Bible there or your Bible app, chapter one of Daniel, and we're picking up from verse eight today. Uh, There's an outline on the back of the news as well. So if you find that helpful, please feel free to use that. But let's pray and ask for God's help as we come to God's word. Gracious Lord, thank you so much that in your goodness that we can not just know about you, but that we can know you. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your Son, in the power of your Spirit and in your Word. So please, Lord, speak to us today that our hearts might bend more and more to your will, that we might be conformed in your likeness, and that our lives might reflect your priorities for this world and your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Quick recap. Last Sunday we began a new series in the book of Daniel. Jerusalem has been defeated by Babylon. King Jehoiakim has been deposed by King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel and his friends are part of the first wave of Jews who've been ripped out of Judah and are exiled into this foreign land under foreign rule with foreign gods. It looks like a crushing defeat. And of course, it hasn't stopped yet because the military conquest of Jerusalem was but stage one of the Babylonian Empire's conquest as Nebuchadnezzar now embarks upon stage two to achieve cultural and ideological victory. He's going to win hearts, minds and allegiance by shaping the key influences from within. And so as they pluck out the youngest and the most promising men from Jerusalem, the intent is that those captives can be assimilated into the culture of Babylon in order to suppress any other loyalties that they may have, including to the Lord. How is he going to get Daniel and his mates enculturated in the Babylonian way? by enrolling them in a three-year course, in a three-year intensive, shaping their education, privilege, and identity. So you might recall their education, schooling them in the Babylonian language, arts, myths, and beliefs, schooling them in privilege, living in the king's courts amidst a world of prestige, and also shaping identity, taking their names of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which mean respectively, God is my judge, Yahweh is gracious, who belongs to the Lord, and Yahweh has helped, and giving them new names, stripped of the Lord, and instead pointing to other gods. Now, things could have looked totally hopeless to Daniel and his friends. Here, Babylon is at the height of success, a global superpower of its time, experiencing a type of uh, renaissance culturally, educationally, and in the arts. The city is enticing architecturally. Uh, They're surrounded by all the drippings of success. There's hundreds of temples to almost every god imaginable. But this is a nation distant from the true God, and now their place, Daniel and his friends, subject... In the thick of this empire's power. At surface level this looks like a comprehensive defeat of God's kingdom and we can be left with the question of not only who rules but what does it look like to be faithful to God and not just conform to culture. You don't have to scratch the surface very deeply to see some parallels here closer to home. As we live in a world in which there are many things apparent to us, obvious and less obvious, that are out of step with God, it is so easy just to buy in and conform to the culture of our workplaces, of our social groups, of schools, of whatever we might engage with. And so be pressed with the question, how do we live faithfully in those different spaces of our lives when God seems to have no place. If you want to have a clue that perhaps God has no place in you know, most workplaces, be great at your next meeting, staff meeting that, that you have, when you're really wrestling with something difficult, just to say, why don't we stop and pray about this right now? <laughs> they would think you're mad. Now, of course, not that we should expect that or demand that. But what do we do when God seems squeezed not just to the margins but right out, when the ones who rule seem to have no interest in God or even a disregard for the Lord? How can we possibly stand firm? There's no easy answers. I'm not sure that's a great way to begin a sermon, but there are no easy answers. But the good news is that this part in Daniel really helps point us in the right direction. How will Daniel and his friends remain faithful and serve the one true God in the house of an earthly king? So three things I think we see. Daniel draws a line, God causes favour, and God gave gifts. So first thing we see, Daniel draws a line. So be great if you've got your Bible there ready, poised for action, verse 8, Daniel chapter 1. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, we're not really sure why it's here at this very point with the food and wine from the king's table, which you know was probably the best food and wine in the whole world. We're not sure why it's here that Daniel, all of a sudden it seems, chooses to draw a line to take a stand. It can seem a bit baffling to us, perhaps even a little illogical. After all, Daniel has been deported, is being re-educated, has been given a new name, and seemingly, he's gone along with all that up to this point, without protest. What's different now? Why won't he bend on this? Why is this one step too far? Well, we can start by ruling some reasons out. At uh, First, it's unlikely because the food has been offered to idols. Because guess what? All the veggies he's about to eat, they probably would have been offered to idols as well. It's also unlikely that prohibited foods were forced upon him because Daniel also didn't want to partake in the wine for which he had complete permission to drink. This is also not just Daniel jumping up and down to make a point because he's cross, because as we see, he does so with extraordinary grace. And despite there still being a mini-industry of Daniel Diet books, His resolve to not eat from the king's table is not because he's discovered a regime of superfoods. If you're a vegetarian and vegan and this is your life verse, I'm really sorry to point that out. There must be something else happening here, and the clue is actually in chapter 11, with the illusion that sharing from the king's table is an indicator of loyalty to him. For whatever reason, Daniel knows that this will be a step too far for him, which will undermine, that is, it'll defile and it will muddy his freedom to be faithful to the Lord as king. This is not just food, but it is a meal layered with meaning. You know, Daniel must have known the saying way ahead of us that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Now note, he's not concerned necessarily about sending a message to Nebuchadnezzar, because after all, this all unfolds out of sight of the king. But there's something in Daniel's self in which he knows, if he's honest, heart of hearts, that if he indulges in this food, it will jeopardize his faithfulness to God. He knows that this is the line that he must not cross. You know, God has placed us in all sorts of front lines every single day of the week, all over Toowoomba and beyond, in which there are all sorts of pressures to fit in and to conform. And as we go to those front lines, it can be really hard to know how to draw the line and make our first identity in God. One approach is to say, well, I'm just going to withdraw, to say, well, I'll remove myself from all those contexts and environments, so that I'm not tainted or a party to it. Another approach is just to say, well, hands up in the air and go, oh, well, I'll just go along and I'll I'll mirror the world in all things. But know that Daniel seeks neither to withdraw nor be worldly, but he wrestles with what it means to be a faithful witness in the thick of it. Discerning where to draw the line begins first by resolving to be ultimately faithful to the Lord. You know, sometimes Christians uh, actually really quite unhelpfully seem to draw a line on every single issue in order to prove that they have rights or uh, the right to have rights or something like that. But no, this isn't Christian triumphalism demanding a voice in the public sphere. That's not Daniel's motive. He just longs to be faithful. That's the starting point. And I think there are three ingredients that help point us in the right direction. So the first ingredient is that Daniel has an honest view of himself. So Daniel has an honest assessment of his own vulnerability in this context, that he's not bulletproof or immune, and that little by little, unless he's careful, that he's going to end up serving the wrong Lord and there'll be no distinction between Babylon and him. There's nothing prescriptive here, but just think about it for a moment. If you're in a workplace, if you're in a setting that is really hyper-driven by money, and especially if that is how you are rewarded and incentivized to make decisions, do not be naive. How do you ensure that you don't conform to the idea that cash is king and that the Lord is not? And if you're in a setting in which you're privileged with power and position and influence, don't be naive. How will you draw a line to ensure that your power is not used for selfish gain or personal progression, as much as you may be encouraged to, but to serve those around you and to demonstrate who you ultimately report to? And if you're at university or school, well, there's no shortage of pressures to conform. How do you decide what might you go along with and what you won't? Even if it puts you a bit on the fringe. The key is to recognize that there are pressures to conform away from the Lord and that we should have our identity firmly fixed in Jesus. That because we have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, we won't be bought by another price. The second ingredient, you'll know, Daniel recognizes the critical moment. So many times in my life, how I wished I'd recognized the critical moment. So, how did Daniel recognize that this was the critical moment for decision? I can only presume it's because he kept on running to the Lord. That word resolve doesn't mean it was just a spare of the moment decision, but it was discerned and thought out. He, he must have been praying. And so, there's an encouragement and a warning. The encouragement is that that God is interested in our whole lives, every part of it, every front line. He's not bored by your work. It's not irrelevant to him. He's got you there. But if we don't keep running to God, seeking out his spirit, how can we expect to have a wisdom to discern where we should stand firm? In fact, we'll become in danger of becoming really numb and deaf to God's voice and how we should live in those spaces. you know. Be God on Sundays, but not on Mondays or Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. I think that's why small groups are really so helpful in the rhythm of life together, to work out these things, to wrestle these things. I know in our small group, I've I've so appreciated as we have discerned these things about how we are to live faithfully on our front lines. It's why our Centre for Work and Faith here at St Bart's is particularly helpful in thinking about what it looks like to be faithful witnesses in our workplaces. Is this something that I should go along with? Or is this something on which I should take a stand? The challenges aren't always going to be big, dramatic, and obvious. And the only way we'll recognize the moments, be awake to them, is by being in relationship with God. Third ingredient. As Daniel draws the line, he acts with grace. You see, that's really phenomenal, that even with his resolve not to eat the food or drink the wine from the king's table, he doesn't have a big religious dummy spit and compromise his behaviour because he thinks the ends justify the means. No, he didn't need to press his power because he trusted in the power of God. Daniel may have drawn the line, but it's God who causes the favour. So verse 9 We're going to move a little bit quicker through the rest of this. So verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The, The king would then have my head because of you. So big headline here. The big reminder is God is the main actor bringing about change. That's the headline. In fact, there's a a quiet type of sovereignty on display. God causes the official to show favor and compassion in in what seems to be an absolutely extraordinarily unlikely situation. You might feel like you're in a workplace in which it seems absolutely impossible that someone, maybe one of your superiors, might show compassion to a particular conviction that, that you hold. But just think about Daniel, he must have been absolutely petrified of asking the official. You know, asking this Babylonian lackey to the king, the last person you would think would display any compassion, would be of any help to Daniel, who was just a nobody. I always remember growing up that it was always very difficult to refuse the second helpings of food offered from my Italian grandmother But by refusing the king's food, the servant's head was potentially on the shopping block. Yet incredibly, extraordinarily, the official doesn't say an outright no to Daniel. So Daniel, acting with great grace but also wisdom, being careful also not to entrap the official and put his life at risk, negotiates a a compromise of sorts, a meal plan, that they just eat veggies for 10 days and drink water and see how it goes. So this is not Daniel testing or strong-arming God, but trusting with no other option in sight that God would find a way. I, I am so amazed at the number of times when friends and people I know have had to graciously draw a line in one of their front lines that when they have done that, that God has placed people or even changed hearts to open up a way. I once knew of someone who was asked to be on one particular team in their workplace, and they felt really uncomfortable about it. They felt really at odds about it in the convictions of being a Christian and doing what they were asked to do. They they prayed about it, they discussed it with Christian friends, and then they ultimately went to their supervisor. And incredibly, the supervisor, who was under extraordinary pressure to fill that team... When the friend said, could we give it a go that I'm not there, the supervisor responded with great grace and arranged an alternative. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that everything is going to go like that. Of course, that's not the case. Conviction can have a cost, but so can conformity. We don't pray for compassion and favour in order that we'd assert ourselves, vie for dominance, avoid the cost or reap reward. But it's right to pray that God would pave the way as we seek to be faithful to him. And so I really want to encourage you that if there's a live issue in your life right now that you're trying to traverse and navigate on one of your front lines in which you're discerning, trying to discern if God is leading you to draw a line, and you're praying about it, talking about it with brothers and sisters in Christ, and you just can't see a way through, it doesn't mean that it's impossible to God. Here Daniel and his friends are. They've been ripped out from their homeland. They're away from the temple. They're under the rule of a foreign king. They're surrounded by the images of foreign gods. They are totally disempowered. But Daniel gets fatter on a diet of veggies in just 10 days. It's kind of like one of the most amazing, extraordinary (laughs) miracles in the whole Bible. God is at work in and through his people, often behind the scenes. Verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink, and gave them vegetables instead. Needs to take this in for a moment. Remember, only a few verses earlier, things look totally stacked against them. And it'd be easy to think, what possible influence could they have sitting amidst the mess of Babylon? But it turns out that God has them right where he wants them, and as they respond faithfully to God, God enables them in that context. Verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. God has given them the gift of physical health. He's given them the gift of intellectual rigor. But he's also given them the gift of interpretation of dreams and visions. It always often amazes me Uh, So often people obsess about that particular gift because they read it here when the emphasis is all about the purpose. It might seem cool or weird to you that Daniel was given that understanding. But make no mistake, God knows exactly what he's doing. God is setting his people up in that place. God is working out his purposes. God took them there. God causes compassion. God gave gifts. They were recruited, verse 4, to serve in the king's palace. They were trained for three years, verse 5, to enter the king's service. They were brought, verse 18, into the king's service at the end of the time. But it's clear that it's not King Nebuchadnezzar that they're serving. Daniel didn't withdraw from the world. Daniel didn't conform to the world. He cooperated. He never compromised, for his eyes were set on the Lord. We can so often find ourselves uh, confused and struggling to understand what we should do. We can really struggle to understand where or if a line needs to be drawn. Remember that God has given you gifts in that place to which you are sent. So good to recognize that all of our gifts that we have, they are from God. And that not only helps us to be thankful, but to be reminded that our gifts have a purpose, even when... You can't see it. And what God asks of us is not to do the impossible, but simply seek him out and do what is faithful. For the outcome is not dependent upon us, but on the faithfulness of the Lord. How will God use Daniel's mates? Well, we get a preview as they're introduced to the king. We'll especially see next week in chapter 2, but verse 21, it rushes ahead with a spoiler alert for really the whole book, and it shows us the big picture. So verse 21. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So in the original language, it's the seven words. This is seven words of absolute dynamite that sum up events that happened in 539 BC. It had been prophesied as King Cyrus the Persian conquers Babylon. Babylon, the kingdom that looked so powerful, like it was too big to fail. But only 60 years later, Nebuchadnezzar was gone. His successors were gone. The empire was gone. So where is this kingdom that looked like it had crushed the kingdom of God? Where is it today? It's on display in room 55 of the British Museum. Babylon went Daniel survived in the closing chapters of Daniel he has these extraordinary visions of an everlasting kingdom and an everlasting king the promise from god that even though they were in exile that there would be a time in which god's kingdom and god's king would fully reign and that God's good and everlasting king would prevail. We don't just know who that king is, but that you can know him. That's why they could take their stand. That's why Daniel could draw a line to be at work where God had placed him, but not to conform to the world around him. And God took that faithfulness and he used it to work out his purposes. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much that in your great love and mercy that we can know you. We thank you for all the places every day of the week in which you have placed us and for the great privilege it is to show your love, to point to you and help introduce people to Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for the gifts that you've given us, and we pray that you would help us to really deploy those and use those on every front line for your purposes. Lord, please give us the resolve and the power of your Spirit to really discern if and where we need to draw a line. Lord, please help us to really stand firm that we would always be conformed in your likeness and not conformed to the likeness of the world. Lord, I especially pray today for anyone who really has a live issue, something they are really trying to wrestle with on one of their front lines and try and discern if this is something on which they should take a stand. Lord, please give them an extraordinary wisdom. Lord, please give them grace and please go ahead of them paving a way with compassion and favour that they might find a way to be faithful to you and that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen.